Hey friends, welcome to another Bible in Life podcast episode. I'm so glad you're joining me on this episode. Before we jump into the content for today, I just wanted to take a second and talk about something that's really, really important, not only to me, but I think to you and to your spiritual life and your spiritual growth. And that's why we're together on the podcast, right? We want to grow. We want to become like Jesus. We want to be deeply rooted in God. And the most important spiritual practice for that is a consistent Bible reading and prayer time. In fact, studies have shown that reading the Bible more often than not, four times a week, is the number one catalyst and number one predictor of spiritual growth. It is just that crucial to our own uh, spiritual formation, our own walk with God. And it'll look different for each each one of us, depending on the way we're wired, depending on our temperament, depending on the stage of life we're at, it's just going to look different. I, I've known people who had, for example, a fairly long commute, and on that commute, they would listen to the Bible on audio, and then they would pray about what they were reading and what they were hearing and other things they wanted to pray about then. And so that was how it worked for them because of their life circumstances. My daughter, who is an adult, has a, a toddler. She currently reads her Bible out loud while the toddler plays in the family room. So she gets her coffee, sits down, reads her Bible out loud. So her toddler listens in. It helps her stay engaged by reading it out loud. And it allows her to watch her toddler. And it just works for her at this stage of life. And all of us are wired differently. We're at different stages of life. It'll look different for all of us. But nothing is more important than that consistent uh, relationship building, walk with God that comes through reading the Bible, praying about it on a regular basis. And the reason I bring that up is I know some people really struggle with finding a way to do that. How does that work? And we struggle to read the Bible with a view to our own life and in a way that builds our relationship with God. And so I've got a free little um, mini course on my website that is specifically aimed at helping you figure out how you can read the Bible and pray consistently and do so in a way that will build your walk with God. It actually grew out of an occasion where I was uh, teaching some of my college students and uh, in the middle of class, basically, someone just blurted out, look, everyone tells us we should read our Bible and pray, but no one shows us how. How do you do it? And I just set my lecture aside, and I just right then and there kind of showed them how I do it, as well as gave them some keys for doing it consistently. It's not the only way to do it, it's just one way. Well, this video course is largely the same thing, and so it provides a, a why, because discipline without direction is drudgery, so you got to know why you're doing it. it. gives you three keys to consistency, as well as gives you a model of how to pray through Scripture in such a way that it will deepen your connection with God. And so that's available for free on my website. Um, I'll put the link to it down in the show notes. You can check that out. Um, and it can really help you, even if you already are consistent, it can help you uh, just maybe re-engage with the text of Scripture with a view towards God and a view towards your own life prayerfully. So uh, it's right there on my website. Link is in the notes down below. All right, with that, let's jump into the content for today.
over the last handful of weeks, we have been talking about this idea of re-socializing, by which we mean learning a new way of life, learning a new culture now that we're within Jesus' kingdom, now that we're part of Jesus' family. And the framework for that, we said, shows up all over the New Testament letters. Uh, we talked about that in the first one. This is going to be our last uh, session in this series on re-socializing. And so let's just review that framework that shows up all over the New Testament letters so that as you read the New Testament letters, you read them well. As you even hear what Jesus is saying, you hear it well. And that is this, that what the New Testament letters are calling us to do when they call us to obey certain commands is they're calling us to live who we are. Live who you are. The way it works is that you're now part of God's family. You're now in Jesus' kingdom. He has welcomed, brought you to himself, welcomed you into the family. Now it's time to learn how to live out this new identity that you've been given. Live who you are. Well, you see that all over the place. For example, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, where the Apostle Paul says, So then... Catch this. Here's the identity. Here's who you are. As those chosen of God, holy and dearly loved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, and so on. Right? Like, you're living who you are. So as those chosen of God, holy and dearly loved, that's who you are. Now let's learn how to live that out. Hear the same thing, for example, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where it says, um, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. You've been given this high calling. You've been called into God's family. You've been made his people. You've been set apart for him. Now it's time to learn how to carry out your life in a manner that's worthy of that. That's re-socializing. It's learning the new culture of God's kingdom, the new way of life in Jesus's family. And so that's what this whole series has been about. If this is your first time listening to the podcast and you haven't listened to the rest of the series, go all the way back. It started with the one about New Testament letters and how to read that. And then we've talked about various aspects of the new culture that we need to get figured out now that we're part of Jesus' family. But that's what it's all about. You're God's people live like it. And that's going to take some time and we're going to make some mistakes along the way. But if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, we've got to be committed to learning to live like it. So when all of a sudden we're confronted with the fact that our approach to life falls short of Jesus' vision for us, we don't minimize, we don't rationalize, we don't blame, we don't justify ourselves or excuse ourselves or say, that's just the way I am. What we do is we just own it. Oh, Okay, Jesus' way is different than the way I've typically done it. I've got to make sure I'm following Jesus' way. Lord, I'm sorry that wasn't quite the right way. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thanks for showing me that. Help me to do better at living out your way. And that's just the way we approach it. Because we're learning as one of God's children to live the way God designed us to live. Now, in this series then, or in this session then, as we wrap up this series... Uh, we're going to talk about kind of the capstone virtue, the capstone, or if you will, maybe the heart or centerpiece of what it means to be God's family, the, the engine, the motivation that drives all the other aspects of our re-socializing. Here it is. The engine is love. It's love. That is the capstone virtue. That is the centerpiece of God's new way of life. It is the number one goal has for your life, is that you learn how to love like God has loved you. Um, it is, this is the, or at least the main indicator of spiritual maturity. You want to measure spiritual maturity? Well, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, 
and love your neighbor as yourself, right? Like that's what Jesus calls us to. Those are the two greatest commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, Jesus said this in John 13, by this all men will know that you're my disciples. How? How, how are people supposed to recognize us as disciples of Jesus? If you love one another, meaning inside the family that you're loving each other as Christ has loved you, like we're loving each other with the same sort of love that Jesus loved us with. Or uh, Jesus says, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, not just even with each other as members of the family, but love your enemies and pray for those who make life hard for you and curse you, right? Like love your enemies, like this loving people is at the heart of what it means to be a son or a daughter of God. This is at the heart of Jesus' new way of life that we have to, to learn how to live. Uh, we have to live Jesus' way, and at the heart of that is this love. And Jesus' love, uh, New Testament love, is not like soft, squishy, sentimental love. Obviously, it includes affection, right? Brotherly love includes affection. That's why we're to be tender-hearted with each other or love one another deeply from the heart. It includes the affection, but it also includes the will. Um, and in fact, in the New Testament, the heart has more to do with the will than it has to do with the emotions or the feelings. And so this, this kind of love is strong love. It's courageous love. It's love with guts. It's love with a backbone that can do what's best for somebody, whether we feel like it or not, right? It's love that, that can be patient, tenderhearted, kind, thoughtful, considerate, regardless of our feelings. Like our feelings are sometimes all over the place. Our feelings should never, uh, they, they are not good engines for our life. They are not good leaders for our life. Uh, feelings make better followers than leaders, right? So our feelings should never drive us. Love drives us as we decide, I am so deeply immersed in the love of God. I'm going to share that with other people, regardless of how I feel. Even my enemies, even those who wrong me, even those who I think aren't making good choices. I can love them. I can do what's best for them. This kind of love is so courageous and so strong that it is tied up with truth. And hence, we speak the truth in love. And that means we speak it from a heart of peace, a heart of goodwill, a heart of kindness. But we share the truth, the truth about Jesus, the truth of the gospel, the truth about Jesus's way, the truth about what God wants for us, the truth about maybe when we've stepped out of bounds. But we do it in a way that's actually helpful for the other person. We do it in a way that's motivated by a heart of peace and a heart of goodwill and a heart of kindness because we're speaking the truth in love. So this love is courageous love. It's love that's uh, rooted in the truth of the gospel and the truth of Jesus. It's, it's love that overflows out of what Jesus did for us, out of that gospel love that Jesus showed us. That's, that is the engine that drives all our re-socializing. This is the thing that holds all the other virtues together is love. Love one another. All right, and so now let's look at one key text. I want to read down through this key text, and then I uh, just want to make some observations about some of the things this text is saying. Listen to these words from 1 John chapter 3, picking up in verse 14. It says this, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Brethren means fellow Christians, right? And so we know that we've passed out of death, out of the kingdom of death, the realm of death, into life, into God's eternal life, because 
we love our fellow Christians. We love each other. He who doesn't love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother as a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him, Here's how we know what love is, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. Notice that, that that's both the pattern and the motivation. Here, the emphasis is on the pattern, but elsewhere in the New Testament, it's the motivation. It's, it's both of those things. Here, it's the pattern. What does love look like? It looks like Jesus laying down his life for you and for me. That's the pattern. When we gaze at Jesus, we realize, man, he loved me, not because I was worthy, not because I was doing everything right, not because I was making all the best choices, not because I measured up to all his standards. He just loved me just because he loved me. He loved me so so far and so deeply that he was willing to lay down his life for me. That is the model. That is the pattern that we we are called to copy. We're, we're called to live a cross-shaped life, a life that lays itself down for the sake of others. So um, we know what love is by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, for our fellow Christians. And so, again, that's the pattern. That's what love looks like. Love in the New Testament is a verb. It's not this soft, squishy, sentimental little noun. It is a verb that lays itself down for others. We lay down our life. We lay down our preferences. We lay down our time, our energy. We lay down our feelings. And we do what's best for other people. We do what's good for other people. We do what's right by other people just because we love them, because Jesus loved us. He goes on and says, but whoever has the world's goods, that means, here's an example. Here's the kind of thing I have in mind when we talk about laying down your life. Whoever has the world's goods, you have stuff that somebody needs, sees his brother in need, and closes his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him? So like, you have a skill, you have a resource, you have something that somebody needs, you're able to give it to them, and you decide not to. You just choose not to. You fail to do that. How can you say the love of God abides in you? Like, how can you say you love God? How can you say you've experienced love of God if you're closing your heart to meeting the tangible needs of people? So he says, little children. Let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. Man, this is such a powerful, powerful text of Scripture about love. And obviously, love shows up so many places in the New Testament. This is only one. But man, it's really, really powerful for us as we just reflect on it. So let me just point out just two little observations and so much more that could be said. But two observations about this text. The first is this, is it's really easy to love all people in general, it's really hard to love these people in particular. You look at this text, and it's the brothers and the sisters, and it's our fellow Christians. It's one another. Love one another. Love the brethren. Lay down your life for the brethren. In other words, these people that are in your life, that are part of your church family, that you know, right? You know their needs. Like, you're involved enough in each other's life that you know, oh, I could meet that need. I could do that. And you choose not to. So you're you're involved in each other. Like this is written to a church that met in a home and acted like family 
and are involved in each other's uh, lives like fully and completely. In fact, their culture was far more communal than our culture. They did life together just much more naturally. It was lived together. So this is family. And what, what John is saying to them is you, you've got to love each other. It's all well and good to say, oh, yeah, I love people. Oh, I love all people. Oh, I love those people. Oh, I love that group of people. Oh, I want to get involved in that, you know, that social justice cause. Ooh, I want to help with that. Oh, those people across the world over there who I never see, but I know it's noble to love them. Ooh, I love them. John's like, all well and good. I'm glad you, you love all people in general, but let's actually start with these people in particular the people in your own household, the people in your own family, the people in your own small group, the people that you're connected with at church that you actually know and you know their needs, right? Like these people in particular, let's love them. That's a really, really important observation of this text is let's work hard at not so much saying we love all people in general. Let's love these people in particular. Let's find real people in our neighborhood, in our church family, in our small group, in our extended family, and let's actually practice loving. In fact, love gets better and grows by practice, so let's actually begin to practice it. Let's love these people in particular. Second observation out of this text is this, and that's um, talk is cheap, right? Talk is cheap. It's easy to say the words, oh, I love you. Oh, I love him or I love her, but, right? Like It's so easy to say those words. Well, you know, I love you, right? And John is like, little children, let us not love in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. Did you catch that? Like, let's not just say the words, I love you. Let's not talk a good talk about love. Let's not, you know, act as if we love. Let's not post on our social media about how loving we are. And, you know, and man, we need to, we need to help the, the needy and help the homeless and help this racial justice cause. And we, let's not post there, talk about it. Do I, that, that's all fine. You want to do that? Fine. But here's the real thing. Here's the real rub. Here's the real measure. Again, do you actually love indeed and truth? For these people in particular, like the people in your life, the people who actually are difficult to love, the people who have real needs that you can meet, the people who are in your own family, the people who are in your own church, do you actually love them and meet their needs? See, love is a verb. Um, Christian people love by actively doing things for others. We're involved enough in each other's lives that we meet people's needs really and truly in Jesus' name. We lay down our life for them. We're kind to them. We speak about them well, both in our mind and to other people, right? We don't run them down, um, that we're we're gracious and forgiving. In fact, we talked about forgiveness in our last uh, episode. And forgiveness, I actually kind of failed to say this on that podcast, forgiveness isn't complete until it leads us to be kind to the forgiven one. It's just not complete. It's really easy again to say, oh, I've forgiven them, but it's still still be unkind, still be rude, still be standoffish, still be mean-spirited, still be selfish towards them. Forgiveness isn't complete until we have the capacity to actually be kind to other people, because that's what love does. Love is just kind. Love is just patient. Love lays down our life. And so uh, talk is cheap. It's easy to say, I love you, John says, let's not just love like that. Let's not just love in word and in talk. Let's love in deed and in truth. This, my friends, 
This is the capstone of our resocializing effort. Now, what are the two greatest commandments? Well, the two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the two greatest commandments. And so love, love of God and love of the people in our life, the actual real people in our life, this is at the heart of the new culture, the new way of life that Jesus has called us into and has welcomed us into. He has loved us like that. Let us love each other the same sort of way. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. Pray it's super encouraging to you as we continue to follow Jesus and grow to be more like him. You know, the Bible and Life podcast is a listener-supported show, so thank you to so many people who make this podcast and this entire Bible and Life online ministry possible. Thanks a ton. Couldn't do it without you. If you want to support the show, um, you can do so. The link is down below to either my Patreon page or to World Family Mission. Both are great options for supporting the show. So if you want to support the show, great. If not, that's okay too. I'm just glad you're here and that we can spend some time together. So thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Bible in Life. I look forward to talking to you again next week.